Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today I am very excited to bring a very special guest on the podcast. It is Patrick Cutter. Last weekend, Patrick ran the Houston Marathon, the Chevron Houston Marathon, and PR'd. He ran 235.23, smoking fast, set a two-minute PR um, from his previous PR, which was at Boston last year. And we talk about that race. We talk about his running background. He's, this guy has run 16 marathons in the last five years and that's basically when he started running. I mean, he's as he puts it in the in the uh, podcast, he actually ran. He has run three times as many marathons as he's run five k's. So he didn't he didn't grow up with a running background. It's a very interesting um, story. I'm not going to delve too much into it in the introduction. I'm going to let Patrick tell it himself. Uh, but I do think you're going to really like this podcast with Patrick Cutter. So before we get into it, I just want to say. One thing, I just want to say thank you. We've had several people write just extremely generous and nice things on some uh, iTunes reviews of the podcast. And it, first of all, it, it warms my heart to read those reviews. And it also allows the podcast to be shared. So this past week, we broke the top 150 rated sports podcasts on iTunes I, I could not believe it when I saw that, when it was brought to my attention. And uh, if you follow me on Instagram, at rambling underscore runner, you might have seen my Instagram story about how we are one one spot above Shaq. So Shaq, we got you. We got you by one. We're rated 144. Um, and no, those rankings go up and down, and you don't stay in one spot forever. But I will say this. If you do like the podcast... Please share it with someone who you think might like it. I think it's uh, I think it's good stuff. That's the way I do it. But if you feel like you get anything out of it, please share it. But obviously, no pressure on this end. So without further ado, that's enough about me. I can't wait to talk about and talk to Patrick Cutter. Hello, Patrick, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Hey, what's going on, Matt? Hey, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Hey, man, thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. And what a week for you. Fresh off the Chevron Houston uh, Marathon, you ran a new PR, 235.23. First of all, how do you feel? I mean, what an amazing accomplishment. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I'm still kind of trying to digest it all. It was um, definitely one of those races where um, kind of everything goes the way you wanted it to. And finally had good weather for once um, the last several races I've done um, over the past few years have just been, you know, humid and, and warm. So it's finally nice to uh, really see what I can do when uh, the weather's right. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the, um, I think it was, it was today or yesterday, you put out a post where um, on your Instagram, which is uh, at I run 26.2 um, underscore underscore um, in case anyone's not following it, you put, I think the quote was, you've got to take a shot. You have to live at the edge of your capabilities. And it was a quote that you made sure that you read several times before the race. What, where did you get the quote and why did it have, you know, that kind of impact on you? I mean, it's funny. I was just, um, I was in my bed the night before the race, you know, just kind of uh, relaxing and kind of mellowing out. And I was uh, just mindless scrolling through, through Facebook. And I came across this random video. It was Will Smith. And it was, um, it was just talking about, 
um, different things. And I saw this one quote that it, I think the title of the, the uh, little clip, it was called the three ways to fail. And he was saying basically the, um, the whole concept of what he was saying is we succeed by failing. And um, one of the points that stood out to me was the one quote that it says living at the edge of your capabilities. And um, I think with running, you really have to um, push yourself to its, you know, very limit. You know, if you really want to see your, your true potential and that just really um, stood out to me. Right. And it's, and it's one of those things where it's kind of different for every race, right? So if you run a 5k running to edge your limits, there's not a whole lot that can go wrong, right? Cause the, the race is so short, you know, if you have, you know, kind of a bad spell, you're still going to be at the finish line before you know it. However, running to edge your capabilities in a marathon has a little bit more risk to it, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, I actually really don't like 5Ks. 5Ks are awful. Um, <laughs> a lot can actually go wrong in a 5K, too. You'd be surprised. I mean, um, 5Ks are a little tricky. You know, you're going all out, and sometimes you can go out a little too hard and really kind of, you know, blow through all your energy that first mile, and then the last two miles are a real struggle. And it can be somewhere in the marathon. You know, it's, there's a lot more strategy involved with the marathon, but you can definitely mess up both for sure. Right. So going into this race, did you have a certain strategy in mind? Like, did you have like a, a recon of the course or what was the race plan going into Houston? Um, as far as like a goal time or yeah, a goal time and then just how you wanted to run the race? Um, yeah, we um, me and my coach, I'm coached by um, Michael Crouch. Um, our, our plan was to and he's uh, he's from McCurdy trained, right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, okay. You had uh, Scott, Scott Littleton, I believe on here. Um, recently, he's also coached by, coached by the same guy, Michael, with, with McCurdy. Right, right. Yeah, we uh, we did this race last year, the uh, the Houston Marathon, and so I kind of knew what to expect with the course, and um, we pretty much wanted to, you know, kind of um, start out at a good pace, you know. Um, I was starting at like 5.55 to 6-minute pace, and then kind of like um, cut down a little bit and just zone into the pace I was trying to go at, which was like right around 5.50, and um, I was supposed to be right around the half, around like one sixteen. We were going for like a two, two thirty three, two thirty four, and um, we wanted to do a negative split. So with the negative split, you want to you know um, run a faster second half than the first half, and didn't really happen this race. That's really hard to do in the marathon. I came to like one seventeen at the half, and I um, second half was a little little slower. It was like one eighteen, um, I think like nineteen. So, but. It was it was a good race, so you know it's pretty pretty close even splits, but I was happy with it. Now, how is the course? Is it a flat course, or is it? Do you have to uh, plan for any hills at any point during the race? Um, it's it's pretty it's pretty flat. Um, I would say it's not quite as as flat as you know like a, a Chicago or like a Berlin, but um, for the most part, it's flat. It's just a couple spots in the second half. First, it's, uh, pretty flat. It's real easy, and the second half is a little tougher. There's a more few little more rolling hills and um a couple spots like there's a there's like a um, on-ramp and it's kind of just dips down and it's not really terribly hilly it's just the point of the race where it is where it just kind of you know really really hurts you a little bit what 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 mile is that um gosh if i had to guess there's one at like i think before the halfway and that was maybe like mile eight or nine maybe maybe a little after that and then towards the end i think um, between around 20, maybe a little after. And now this was a big marathon. I mean, it's, it's like a, you know, it's not one of the, the world marathon major championships, but it's kind of like in that next tier. So I was surprised when 
I saw that you basically ran the last 19 miles by yourself. I mean, did you ever in a million years think that that was going to happen? It's funny you say that because it's um, even though it's not like a huge race like, you know, Chicago, Boston, New York City like that, because I've ran those races. Um, but I've actually ran those races. I've ran um, by myself for those races as well. Not for that long of a stretch of time, but um, when I ran um, Chicago and Boston um, last year, um, there was definitely stretches where I was by myself for a good chunk of miles, not 19 miles, but so I kind of knew going into this race where there's going to be less people. And even, when I say less people, it's not like it's like a 2000 person race. You know, it's a good size race, good medium size race, like you say. But so I was kind of prepared going into it, knowing, you know, I might have to run alone, especially if I'm going faster, you know, so because you're kind of not at that um, back of the pack, you know, middle of the pack, but you're not quite as fast as the super elites. So you're kind of in the, I'm kind of in the no man's land, you know? Right. That That's a great point. Yeah. Cause you do have like the two, the two fifteens and the two twenty marathoners. And then did you have, see like where you're at two thirty five, that can be where some of the elite women are, but obviously it's tough because with CIM just, you know, five weeks ago, maybe you didn't bring in the full elite women crowd this year. Right. And actually the only women I actually saw in the course was, um, was Sarah Crouch, um, which is, she's the, uh, the wife of my coach. And, um, Michael was actually pacing her for the first, I think like 15 miles or so. And I was actually able to see her. She, she was probably way in the distance for most of the race. Um, but I actually only finished one second behind her. So, and she was the, um, top American woman in the race, which was pretty cool for her. And it was cool to only finish one second behind the, uh, the top American woman. So did you, were you able to pace off her at all? Like how, how far in the distance was she, you know, say in the last 10 K or so? Um, it was, it's tough to, it's tough to say. I mean, I really was able to pace off her. I could kind of gauge, um, just roughly if I was falling behind or catching her and I was actually gaining on her. Um, she started before I did cause she's with the elites. Oh, okay. So while I was, um, well, I only finished one second behind her. She was at the finish line before me, like a little before me, just because, you know, she started like maybe 20 seconds or so before me. So even just 20 seconds or something like that, you know, it's going to be a good, decent amount of size in between us, you know, if she's running at like a sub six minute pace. Yeah. So you, so you finished with a two minute PR. So for yeah. you coming down the stretch, so say, let's just kind of fast forward to the last, you know, the last 6.2 miles, right? The last 10 K, which for anyone who's run a marathon or has read, a, read about marathons, you know that they always say the second, basically the second half of the race starts at mile 20. So for you, how did you feel at that point? And how did, um, and how did you feel kind of compared to, I guess, how you expected to feel at mile 20? I mean, you're, you're an experienced marathoner. This is marathon number, what, 16 for you. So you have a pretty big pedigree going into it. Yeah. So I, you know, having done 16 marathons, you know, you know, there's going to be a wall at some point. And I've having done so many of these now, I mean, I, I've had it happen in different spots of every race. I mean, generally it is around mile 20 for most people, but I've had races, um, let's see in Boston, like I think 2014, I hit the wall, not a really wall, but I knew I was in trouble at like mile, I think it was like mile six. Oh just, goodness. Yeah. And it was just, it was just a real struggle. That was one of the toughest marathons I've ever done. Now I only ran a 255 that day, but just it was just such a struggle for mile like that point of the race to the end and you know i've had races where you don't hit the wall at all um and i ran chicago in 20 i think it was 2015 
I didn't hit the wall at all. I felt strong the whole way, you know. And I think my um, splits were like within um, half and first half and second half. They're about you know within thirty seconds of each other. So it was just a perfectly executed race. And um, this race, I I felt pretty good um, all the way through probably about twenty twenty one. I mean, you know, you're getting tired, and you know the fatigue starting to set in. But I would say around mile 20, 23, 24, that's when it started to, started to hurt a little bit. You know, it's just that point in the race, you know, you got three, two or three miles to go. And it's not that much, but it's still two or three miles to go. And, you know, your your body's screaming for you to stop. And, it's and you know, like I said, being by myself was, um, was kind of tough because you don't really have a way to pace off of. So you're just really trying to grit it out. Now, how does how much does experience help you in those situations? When, you know, the la- those last three miles where, as you put it, you know, you're gritting it out, but your body's screaming for you to stop. Um, I pretty much just conditioned my body to, in my mind, I think a lot of runners at this point of the race, you know, um, experience is so key because if you're just new into running, you know, your mind is going to tell you to quit, like, and you're just going to listen to it and you're going to back off the pace and just, you know, kind of just coast in there and not really worry about your time or whatever, but. You know, if you're experienced and you're competitive and you're really trying to get to that finish line in the best time you can, you know, you really condition your mind to just push through the pain and just kind of take your mind somewhere else. And that's what really works for me is um, just finding my happy place, I guess. I know it sounds kind of corny, but, you know, I'll do whatever I can to distract my mind from knowing what it's going through because, it sucks. <laughs> it's not easy. No, I mean, I, I certainly appreciate the Happy Gilmore reference. That's for sure. Yeah, right. And uh, so, right. For, so for you, where, where do you go? Right. You mentioned like you got to go somewhere. You got to go to your happy place. Like where do you zone out to? And what's some of your you know, inner monologue or kind of your inner self-talk that you're that you're trying to lean on in those moments? I just think about anything that like, you know, it's brought me happiness over the years. You know, I think about, you know favorite vacation spots family friends just things like that and um i actually do weird stuff in my mind to keep it distracted i'll i'll count or i'll like i'll spell things out in my mind i mean it sounds so corny and, and lame but you know when you're running for two and a half hours and you don't you're not listening to music you know you gotta gotta kind of distract your mind and uh, to pass the time you know yeah so it's more of a distraction as opposed yeah. to like trying to like energize yourself well, I mean, there are points where I'll try to energize myself. You know, I'll um, I'll think about, you know, like certain workouts I did that um, I knew I crushed. And I think about those and it'll, I remember back how strong they made me feel at that point. And those really give me a boost when I'm feeling like I'm slowing down. Right. So you, you get that two minute PR, which is, you know, especially at that, at that pace that you're running, you know, you, you break that sub six minute mile pace. That really is amazing. And then at the same time, You've been improving. It has been a perfect linear improvement, especially with how many marathons you do, but it's been pretty close in terms of just steady improvement year after year. So how did your training, your, your, kind of your marathon training for this race, how did it compare to previous years in terms of you know, the quality of it and then just the total mileage? Um, basically, when I, first, when I first was like running, I was running maybe – maybe 40 miles a week. My first BQ was like, I was running like 40 miles a week. I was running three, four days a week. And I mean, I've, I look back at that and I just think of how, how far my training has come. It was just so unstructured back then. You know, when you're, um, this was before like Instagram was big with running and everyone was posting their runs and workouts. And, um, 
I didn't really have access to all that stuff. So I was just kind of just winging it. And now to the point where I'm just so structured with um, all of my workouts, my runs, my paces is it's very structured, which I love. And because you get to this, this stage of, of, of running, you know, everything has to be very precise if you want to keep continuing to, um, you know, cut down on your time. And for this cycle, it was pretty much, I've been working with Mike for um, a little over a year now. And this is like, I think the third, third marathon that we've worked together. And it's pretty much the same, similar stuff that we did to the previous marathons. And we just tweaked the paces a little bit. They're a little faster. And um, I did a lot more treadmill work this cycle. I don't know if that had anything to do with um, my performance in Houston. And also, I tried something new. I was um, doing my easy runs a lot easier in between my hard days. And I think that also was a big um, contributing factor because before I was doing all my easy runs and recovery runs at, you know, seven. 710 715 and i don't think i was ever letting my body truly recover recover so this like oh i tried to make it a point to myself to really go easy on my easy days you know i would go you know 815 830 840 wow that's a drastic change i mean that's literally almost what i run on some of my runs and i'm like nowhere near the runner you are yeah i mean it was it was definitely weird you know at first and kind of uncomfortable to go that slow right because you know you're so used to just seeing you know seven something or six or five something on my watch you know to see eight eight thirty you're like what am i doing how am i going so slow how is this going to help me but i think i've always told people i think it's a lot easier to you know run fast and is to run slow It's, it's hard to run slow everyone wants to run fast no one wants to just slog through an easy run but i really think if you discipline yourself to run the, the easy runs easy i really think they can help you you know recover between workouts because i honestly felt um after going easy between my hard days i was able to run you know a lot stronger and be more efficient in my workouts i really think that paid off in houston this year see that's the great point and i think that's something that a lot of people miss when they try to juggle the easy days and have it be you know, how easy should it be? That it's not necessarily about the easy days per se. It's about making sure that on the hard days that you can really maximize your performance because that's where you can make the gains. Oh, absolutely. You know, I see, I see a lot of different things and different trainings on, uh, on Instagram and I see a lot of people, I mean, I've been, I've been um, made the mistake myself of, you know, going to way too hard on my easy days. And I see a lot of people, you know, making the same mistake and, you know, just going way too hard on um, days between hard workouts and so many people, if, if you just like, you know, back off just a little bit on your easy days, you know, those workouts will be that much stronger. And in the long run, in the long run, you're just going to be that much faster in the marathon. And I just think if more people took that approach, um, they'll be better off um, in their, um, whatever their goal is. Yeah. Cause you really gain nothing by increasing the pace on your easy day. Right. I mean, there's and- nothing, all you can do is have it be a negative. There's no real positive that can come from it. Absolutely. I mean, they say they say if you go too hard, I mean, you're going to sabotage your workouts and your races. And, you know, people do that the week of the race. And I see a lot of people, they leave their they leave their, their race times out in their training, you know, at what whether, whether it be, you know, running too fast in their workouts or running too fast on their easy days. And just all about, you know, being patient and, you know, just back off and slow down. It's not always about having to go fast. Well, one day you had to go fast, and you didn't mention it yet, but I can't wait to talk to you about this. I, what happened on the day that you got attacked by a dog? 
I, I got to hear more about this because this was, you posted on your Instagram story and I like, I couldn't believe my ears. And like you, 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 know, you talked about it for like two or three minutes, but I was like, I need more. What exactly happened and how did like, like what was the effect of it? I want the whole, like the whole story. All right. So this was pretty crazy. I was, this was, um, I think it was, was this about a month ago or something like that. Right. Um, I was just running loops in the neighborhood. You know, we got in a big snowstorm. So I was just running loops and I was listening to my music and, um, it's funny, like 10 minutes before that happened, I could have swore something was like chasing me, you know, just get that weird feeling. I look back and there's nothing there. And then, you know, so I keep running and then all of a sudden I feel something on my back and I'm like, what the heck is this? And I look back and there's this freaking, this freaking huge dog on my back. I'm like, I freaked out. Like, you know, if you have something like some dog, I forgot what it was, it was a pit bull. Is that what I said it was? I can't remember. Yeah. I th- yeah. I think, well, I think you said pit bull. Yeah, so it was a pit bull, and it was just, I freaked out. I, You know, the instant something happens like that, your body's reaction is just, like, you know, flight or fight. And I was just, I, I fled right away. My, 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 I was going really easy, and I just picked up my pace really fast, and I, like, turned around, and I was freaking out. And then, because you don't know what this dog's going to do, you know. You don't know if it's going to try to attack or bite you. You know, I've seen, seen a lot of stuff on, like, TV, and these dogs just, like, biting people. And then once I saw that he was just going to, you know, not try to kill me, I was, I was okay. But my heart rate was like 180. <laughs> I was, it was pretty scary. So was it, was it, was he literally on your back or was he like, when you say he was on your back, like he was like, his, like his tailgating front, you. His front paws like were halfway up my back. Holy he, like, shit. Yeah. He like jumped and yeah, his paws were on my back. That's why I thought, I th- at first I thought it was, you know, somebody was like tapping me on the back, like somebody's running by me or just let me there letting me know they were coming by. And then I looked back, it was a dog. And I was like, holy crap. So at that point, do you start like, so you're running, obviously you like, you, you start hauling ass, right? You're like, I got to get the hell out of here. But like as fast as you are, and you are obviously very fast. We just gave your marathon time. Like you're not faster than a dog. So like, are you at that point, like screaming for the owner? Like, are you like bobbing and weaving? Like, how do you run away from a dog? (laughs) And that's like a pit bull. And like, we've all heard pit bull stories. Oh yeah, I'm like at first I'm like holy shit, what what's going on right now? So I was literally like doing, I was sprinting, and it was it was kind of hard to sprint because I had such terrible footing because it snowed out. But and then this dog just kept chasing me. Said so I instead of trying to keep running because he was keeping up with me, I wasn't about to outrun him. So I stopped running just to see what would happen. And he he calmed down. He just started circling me. So I was like, I was looking around. Oh my like, god! So at that yeah. point, you must be like, all right, this is either going to be really good or really bad. He starts circling you. Yeah, so I'm looking around, and it's really, really cold out. So I was like, I wonder if he's being walked. I couldn't imagine somebody walking their dog when it's this cold out. So I was looking around, I'm like, hoping to see an owner. And I looked down the street, and there was this kid, this, like, teenager. He was must have been trying to walk his dog or letting him out for the bathroom or whatever. And he was running towards me, and he was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. And um, he was he was cool about it. He was apologizing about it. and But I was I was freaked out for a little bit there, you know. <laughs> I know. So, so after that, were you just every time you heard like a little noise or whatever on like later runs, did it affect you? Like, I'm thinking about like how it happens to me. Like, if I watch like Unsolved Mysteries or something like that, like like some like crazy like horror movie. Like, anytime I hear a noise in the house, I like I freak out. Like, did you have that kind of experience on later runs? Oh yeah, all the time. And this was this wasn't even my first encounter with a dog. I've I've been chased by this. This is the third dog I've been chased by. I was chased by, I think, a Rottweiler. It was um, either last year or the year before in the summer. And this one was a worse experience. 
from the standpoint of the owner, the owner was a complete douchebag. He, this dog was chasing me down the road. I'm literally sprinting. This was summertime. I was on like pavement. I was, I was going probably like sub five minute pace. And this Rottweiler is hauling ass down the road on my ass. And I see the owner and he's pointing at me. He's laughing. He thought it was a grand old time. And I'm like, dude, you freaking kidding me? He thought it was hilarious that this dog was chasing me. And I'm like, it's not funny. I should have called the cops on him, but I was, I was pretty pissed. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, would you say that that might've been the fastest you've ever run in your life? Yeah, I would say that wasn't the right. That wasn't the right. Yeah, <laughs> right. Because you, like you said, it was the summer, so you had your good footing. You're able to really like oh, yeah. to spring into action. Oh yeah, it was it was pretty crazy. All right, so we talked about your PR. You know, you you obviously are an accomplished runner. Um, you know, in the top one percent of runners in the country, and yet you really haven't been running for that long, at least from a marathon perspective, right? You mean you your first, yeah. your first marathon you ran in November of 2012 uh, and you've run six. So that was your first one. You've run 15 yeah. since, which is, you know, an average of three a year. So before that marathon, what was your running background or what was your athletic background? I should say kind of prior to 2012. Um, prior to 2012, I was mainly, um, well, I went, I graduated from high school in, um, 2007, you know, when I was in high school, I, I played football, I played, um, basketball and I was on indoor track team, outdoor track. And I was mainly in, in, uh, in track and indoor and outdoor track. I was, you know, a sprinter. I was, you know, hundred, 200, 400 guy, you know, I ran, you know, four by one relay, four by four. And that was really my cup of tea, you know? So what were your, what were your times for some of those events? Um, for like the 400, I was like 51. Oh, you know? so you were moving. Yeah, I was, I was pretty good. I was good enough to like, you know, um, place well in, in sectionals, which was like the, you know, the local whatever meet at the end of the year. And then, um, for like the 200, I was like 23 and then 100, like 11 something. So there were, there were, there were solid times, but they were, they weren't good enough to get me to like a, a state meet, but. I was, I was pretty quick. I was one of the fastest kids on the football team. And, um, but yeah, so, um, didn't really ever do any distance. I remember I ran one 800 and, um, when I was a senior in high school and then I ran a, um, I ran one 1000 race when I was an indoor my senior year. And I remember being so mad at my coach for putting me in the thousand. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Who would run this long? Who would run a <laughs> <laughs> you know, doing like you know, 400 meters at a time, you're doubling that plus more. And I'm like, dude, this is this is too much. I don't want to run a thousand. That's just way too much. Who do, who runs that long? I know two and a half laps. I know it's amazing. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's crazy looking back because now I run, you know, 40k. 40k is a marathon, right? Or pretty close to it. 40 42.2k, I think it is something like that. But it's it's crazy how how things change, you know, and perspective changes. So, right. No, absolutely. And um. So the 800, was that in a meet or is that, was that like physical fitness test? Cause I know for us at our high school, the 800 was what we had to run in PE every year. Oh no, that was, this was actually in a, this was in a track meet. Um, it was, it was just in a, a dual meet we had against one other school. I don't even remember what my time was exactly. I want to say it was like 207. If I had to guess. Oh, geez Louise. That's really good. It's not, it's not bad. I mean, it's, it's decent. Right. Well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm from Rhode Island, so that would have put you in the state meet in Rhode Island. I know that because one of my teammates ran 207 and qualified. I was, I, I was at the meet that day. Um, 
All right. So, so that was your high school background. So at what point did you start, you know, and obviously it's, it's all relative, but start training for longer distances or long distance. When did that start becoming something that you were interested in? Let's see. uh, I would say probably a couple years after I graduated, I started doing um, some, some like, you know, three, four, five mile runs. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, like I was, I do it like, five times a week and run these, you know, three to five mile increments. And I was like, wow, this is so many miles. I can't believe I'm running this many miles and five miles at once. It was just like a thrill to me to run that long. And then I just kept um, increasing my distance. slowly. I went to like, you know, six or seven miles one time. And then. So were you out there like, just like trying to kick ass every run or did you have like, all right, like you're, you're running longer. So you're trying to temper the pace a little bit. I was just going balls out every time. <laughs> you know? You know, I had, I had zero, zero knowledge of what it meant to be a, a distance runner or any type of training. So I'm just going out there, you know, running until my lungs burned and, you know, putting it all out there. And that's actually how I trained all the way through my first few marathons, which I would not suggest to anybody because that plan will backfire eventually. So what was your first like 5K or 10K race? Do you remember when that was and what the time was, roughly speaking? Um, let's see, my first 5K was actually I'd actually ran I think I already ran three three or four marathons before I ran my first five K. Get out of here. That's crazy. Oh yeah. oh yeah, it is it's crazy. It doesn't make any sense. And to put this in perspective, I've ran sixteen marathons and I've only ran I've only ran five five Ks in my life. Five. Wow. Look <laughs> at you. That's that's yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, we got what we actually got a question um through Instagram from Veronica Goble who asked, What was your starting pace when you were a beginner? So since you didn't really run any, any, any races, what were like some of your average pace times the first two or three years you were doing these five and six mile runs? Um, if I look back, um, like the first few, for first few years I was running, they were probably, um, anywhere between, you know, seven thirty to, you know, eight fifteen, And, you know, it was just, and it, but then I'd have runs in here where I would, you know, run like low sevens but i would say the majority of them were like you know mid to high sevens and um i just look back and i can't believe like i was like my lungs were burning right in that pace and now i just like you know jog backwards at that pace now sometimes <laughs> except <laughs> when you're except when you're doing your easy runs because then yeah, now you're doing them at eight thirty. yeah but it's, it's all relative you know there's people that the easy paces i run that's like you know it's a verb you know what i'm saying you know the elites their easy days are my race pace no, absolutely. And, yeah. and you and you mentioned something earlier, uh, and I kind of I let it fly by because I knew I was going to ask you later. Um, your Boston struggles. You mentioned earlier that in the race in what was it, 2014, that at mile six you really kind of hit the wall. So like you've had, um, you know, earlier in your marathoning career, so to speak, you know, your five miles, your five years of doing it, you kind of had a tortured history with Boston. Not that you didn't run good times. I mean, you run right. sub three there. But from a struggles perspective, um, it hasn't been the best race for you. What about that race was such a challenge? Or was there any consistent reason for it being a challenge? Well, the thing with Boston is it's a very <clears throat> it's a very technical course. You have to it's it's not like any other marathon you can just kind of, you know, like a Chicago or or um, another flat race like Berlin, where you can just go out and just, you know, run even pace the whole time. It's a very very different course. You start out in Hopkinton and you're going downhill you know, for the first, you know, five or six miles. And the first, like, mile mile itself is just it's a very steep downhill. And then it levels out, and then you're going uphill 
between like miles uh, 16 and 21. And it's just, if you go out too, too hard in that beginning, you know, five, six mile stretch, you'll have nothing left in your quads um, going up those hills from like 16 to 21. There's about three or four hills there. And if your quads are shot by, um, by the time you get to that point, it's over. Is that what it's, happened to you in 2014? Um, no, I just, in 2014 for me, it was, it was a lack of, a lack of preparation um, leading up to the race. My, my diet was horrible. I didn't, I eat like, ate like nothing. I ate nothing but, I ate pasta, um, I think like a week straight, nothing but pasta. And, and then like two days before the race, all I had was PBJ sandwich and I just didn't have enough calories and I didn't take enough fluids during the race. So just kind of a lack of knowledge, lack of preparation, I think, which led to my downfall. And it was warm that day and just kind of was an awful experience. Um, but I was just, ha- I was just happy it's made to the finish line that race. But that was, do you take a lot from that race though? Because you mentioned how hard it was for you. How you start, how you struggled with literally 20 miles left in the race. And yet you broke three in that race. I mean, you still ran a very good time. And what did you take from just the, uh, I guess the mental, physical and emotional uh, grit that you needed to not only finish the race after having those those struggles, but to you know to finish it at you know still a pretty high level. Yeah, it was it was it was tough, but I took a lot from that race. You know, I always try to take something from a race, um, good and bad. You can always take something, no matter no matter how good you race, whether good or bad. I always try to find something, and from that race, I took a lot because you know it's Boston and. I wanted to have, I wanted to come back to Boston, you know, years after that and, and run well. And I knew I had to learn from this race in particular that I had to, you know, make changes. So, you know, I, I changed how I ate before the race, you know, and I changed how, um, my nutrition during the race and just a combination of those things that helped me, um, in future races. I think I may have learned more from that race than I have from any other race. Right. And then, you mentioned how you can learn from every race, not only good things, but bad things as well. So what prompted you to end up getting a coach through McCurdy trained? I had felt like I had um, kind of plateaued a little bit in my, my ability. Um, I had reached, you know, I reached the two, I'd ran 240 um, twice at that point. I had run it in um, Chicago both times. I ran 240 in 2015. Um, it's like 240, uh, 45. And then in 2016, I ran, um, the 240, 30 or something. And I remember just thinking, you know, I put so much into it and, you know, I only gained 15 seconds off my PR and it was really kind of, it was kind of, I was kind of frustrated because I put so much into it and it's only 15 seconds. I mean, I know it's a PR, but you know, I want, I had so much bigger goals at that point to, be faster and I mean, I'm so young and I wanted to just you know, my goals were to get in the 230s and I just felt like if I got someone else to help me I feel like I could achieve those because if I didn't I probably would have been I might have broken 240 by myself but you know I might have topped out at you know 239 who knows and what was the biggest difference to your training um, with having a coach it's definitely um, with pacing, you know, I see, 
looking back that the paces I ran just were they didn't match up to the 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 goals I wanted I wasn't I was pushing myself but I found through working with Michael is you know he's pushed me to levels I didn't know I even had inside of me you know I I thought what I thought was hard he he brought it to a whole nother level with the workouts he gave me because workouts he gave me are, are they're no joke and um he just just really made me push myself harder than I, I think I could have imagined. Right. And one thing about you that we haven't mentioned yet, but anyone who's ever seen you noticed this right away. It's just one of your, your, you know, your physical characteristics that you are a very strong person, right? I mean, especially yeah. not, not just compared to runners, which you are certainly strong compared to runners, but just for anybody in general, right? So you're like, you know, you're, you have the kind of body that would be like on the cover of men's health. And it seems <laughs> like, um, that you get a lot of feedback on that, both positive and negative. So for you, what is that like on both ends of the spectrum when you get that sort of feedback um, through social media? Well, I think it's great that um, I get I get a lot of you know positive feedback from so many people from everywhere in the world who are saying you know you're such an inspiration for you know being a runner who isn't a twig and it's fast and it's I love it. I think that's awesome because, you know, I don't want to lose weight. I want to do it my way. And my way is, is, you know, I want to work out, be strong, be healthy, and I want to be fast. And I think a lot of people see that and they think they can do that too. But on the flip side, you know, there's, I would say for every, every um, 10 comments that are, you know, positive, there's maybe just, you know, one or two people that are, you know, bad apples and, you know, it's going to happen with regards to who you are, but a lot of people tell me, no, if you lost weight, you'd be, you know, you'd be 10 minutes faster. Or if you lost 25 pounds, you'll be qualifying for the Olympic trials. You know, maybe that's true. Maybe if I did lose weight, I'd be faster, but that's not my goal. My goal is to, you know, be healthy and happy with what I am and then be as fast as I can be, you know? And you kind of had this body type before you started running. It wasn't as if, you know, you started increasing the mileage and increasing your weight at the same time. Absolutely. I've been, I've been a steady, you know, 180 plus pounds, you know, since I ran my very first marathon and I've actually ran a couple of them over 185 pounds. I was like 186 for Boston last year. And how tall are you? I'm um, 5'10". Okay. Got it. All right. So, so that's, so you're a typical height, but you obviously you know, a bigger guy compared to the people you're running with. So when you first met up with Michael, your coach, Michael Crouch, what, did you guys ever have a conversation about that? Uh, yeah, we, uh, we've had probably several conversations about my weight. And how does that, how does that usually go? Like, how does that, how does, what's well, that back and forth like? Uh, well, it's, he's not really pushing me to lose weight. You know, he's, he's mentioned that, you know, just a couple of times, you know, it's not like it's a constant um, thing where he's like, Patrick, you need to lose weight or else I'm not going to be your coach. It's, it's, it's not like that. It's just, you know, when we first started working, he's, you know, he just kind of like, let me know that, you know, if you lost, you know, say 10 pounds, you know, you'll be X amount of minutes faster and you'll be more efficient and you probably don't have to work as hard. So, you know, and I, I understand where he's coming from and, you know, I've actually taken a lot of what he's said to heart, you know, about maybe losing some weight and, but it just, the way my body type is, it's just, it's so hard for me to, to lose weight with how much I eat and how much I, I run. It's just, I've been about 180 pounds for like the past like 12 years. It's been pretty crazy. So what is your weightlifting schedule look like? 
Um, usually I go to the gym, you know, you know, three, four times a week, usually nothing more than that. And I know a lot of people, they message me on Instagram and they expect to have like some elaborate, um, workout schedule where I'm at the gym seven days a week and I'm there for two and a half hours, but it's really not like that. You know, I'm going to the gym, you know, three, four times a week and, and I'm only doing, you know, 30 to 45 minutes at the very most, you know, I'm in there, I'm out, you know, nothing crazy, you know, cause I just want to go run too. Right. And it's also a different perspective, right? Cause you're not trying to build this muscle. It's more maintenance than anything else. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, it's my workout is kind of, it's, it's kind of shifted a little bit since I've um, gotten faster as a runner. When I first was running, it was, you know, I would throw on the much, I would throw like over 275 pounds on the, the um, flat bench, you know, trust how many times I could do it. And I was all about like, you know, power and seeing how much I could lift. And now it's, I've shifted more towards, you know, a little bit lighter weight, but higher reps, you know, cause I'm not trying to, you know, build muscles. So I've lowered the weight and I've increased the reps. I mean, I'm still lifting pretty good weight, you know, for my size. I still throw up 225 pounds, you know, 12 to 14 times, which is, is pretty decent for a runner. Oh, for sure. For sure. And one thing it seems like, and please correct me if I'm wrong here, but despite the fact that you're obviously a good runner, um, you know, in the, especially in the, being the 235 marathon range, it seems as though you kind of relish that underdog mentality, which is almost at odds with your running time. Do you, so do you, is that true, first of all? And if so, what kind of feeds into that? Wait, can you, can you rephrase that a little bit? I guess it seems as if you like following you through your running career, it seems as though you almost have like an underdog mentality. Like you always try to like look for um, things to kind of, kind of like, all right, if someone has a slight, someone slights you in some way that you like always want to be like, kind of like on the revenge, almost like that Michael Jordan mentality of like yeah, yeah. always having like a bullet board, bulletin board material. So like what, if that's true, what feeds into that considering like, Hey, you beat most of the people you run against. So how do you kind of maintain an underdog mentality in that situation? Um, I don't really look for stuff per se, but people, you know, people have made comments over the years, you know, over, you know, you're not going to achieve this time. I had people when I first started out, you know, you're not going to run sub three at your size. You know, you're too big for, for running. You know, you're not cut out for running. Then people said the same thing about, you know, breaking 250 and then 245. And then people would say, you know, it's going to get so hard to cut down from here. You're probably plateaued and you're not going to be able to get much faster. And every time someone says those things, you know, it, it, I remember those things, you know, and I've worked my way down to 235. I remember all those people that said I wasn't going to get there. And there's people now that say, you know, we're not going to break 230. And, you know, I'm going to use that to push me to break 230 because I know one day I'm going to break 230 and I'll look back and thank the people that said I would never be able to get there. Oh, that's awesome. I love it. I'm getting, yeah. I'm getting excited just hearing that. Like I'm, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I mean, shoot, I'm a three thirty marathoner, but I'm excited. I want to go break 230 now. <laughs> hey man, it's a lot of work, but it's fun. There you go. Now, you're doing all of this, and one thing that people might not realize is that it's not as if, like, you're a professional runner. You dedicate your whole life to this. Like, you're working, you know, a lot of hours. You're working nights. Like, for you, how do you balance it? How do you balance it, first of all? And what do you say to people who say, like, hey, like, 
I can't achieve my goal. I got too much stuff going on or like, Hey, it's like, maybe it's easy for you, but like, you don't know what I have to go through day to day. Like when you have, when you have those kind of conversations with people or if you overhear somebody saying stuff like that, what's your natural instinct in terms of what you want to say to them? I mean, it's, it's like anything else. It's, it's priorities. And you know, if you, if you want to be good at something, whether it's running or whatever your career, you'll, if you want to, you want to make it, you know, you're going to make time for it regardless of your schedule, your kids, your job. And a lot of people use that as a crutch and say, you know, Hey, I can't achieve this time. I'm too old. You know, I got too much of this going on. I mean, there was a 50 year old woman that qualified for the Olympic trials for the women. I know I'm interviewing her next week. Molly Friel. That's, that's just, that's incredible. Like, and there's people that got kids, they got jobs and they all find a way. And that's the reason why they're so good. Cause they, they make a priority to, to be good. And they don't let things um, get in the way of their, their dreams. Well said. So how about you? What are your dreams? What do you, you just mentioned two thirty? What are some short-term and long-term goals that you have in mind? Uh, that's, that's a nice big goal is um, um, breaking the two thirty barrier, um, which is pretty wild. I mean, I, I didn't think I would, I would be this close to uh, a two thirty, and it's just pretty cool. I mean, I'm still a long shot. I mean, I have, I have dreams of, you know, qualifying for the Olympics. I mean, I'm within, I'm within, I think 16 minutes from it. So realistically, it's probably not going to happen just because that's a lot, a lot of time to cut off. So what's that? Do you have to break 220 to be an Olympic trials qualifier? I believe it's, it's 219 flat. Okay. So it's a long shot, you know, and probably a one in a million chance, but you know, it's just something to work, work towards, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And what does, uh, what's your race schedule look like for 2018? As of right now, I have, um, Boston marathon in, um, in April and I'll probably will have a couple of halves I'll probably do this summer. And my fall schedule is not, not quite set yet. I'm not sure. I signed up for Chicago, but I'm not sure yet if I'm going to defer for that and maybe do that next year and then sign up for potentially another race like CIM in um, December and then, um, you know, make that push for sub two thirty in, in, um, in December if, if, uh, it all works out. Um, cause if the weather was like it was this year or this past year for CIM, I think it'd be really a good opportunity to, you know, run, run a sub two thirty there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they had such a, as you saw they, the, uh, the performances for the men and women at CIM cool. this year, it was like, uh, it really was amazing. It was, seemed like it was perfect weather, great conditions. And you get the, that perfect field, um, you know, when you have the marathon championships there for, you know, early December, it certainly is a, a wonderful spot. Last question before I get into like the, the quick, the quick questions at the end, the, the, um, lightning round is there's not most people who start their Boston training cycle start it around now. And yet here you are, you just ran a PR in the marathon and you've done this before you've done Houston and then Boston. So what does the, what does the Boston training cycle look like for you in terms of when do you get going and kind of transition from recovering from Houston to, okay, now I'm starting my build up for Boston. Well, like you said, I, you know, I've, I've done um, a marathon before Boston before. Um, this is actually my, I believe my fifth, Fourth or fifth year, I've done a January marathon before Boston. Actually, I think I've done a, I've done a January marathon before every Boston I've done. I've done I did Disney three times, and this is um, my second Houston. So yeah, so it's five, and so I kind of know what to expect with um, 
you know, the training that comes after the recovery from the January marathon. And it's a a lot more compressed, you know, you don't have um, the same exact amount of time as other people, you know, because they're starting to train and I'm going to, I'm taking this week off and then, you know, I'll go easy for a couple of weeks. So no, I won't be that far behind just, you know, three, four weeks maybe, but probably about um, probably mid February, I'll probably be back going, getting back into the 60 mile plus weeks and getting back at it. Okay. All right. So do a little bonus round here. If you're, if you're doing your training runs, are you going headphones or no headphones? Headphones. All right. And what are you listening to? everything everything all right so what are you all right in that case what are you not listening to what what are some things that are definitely not on the playlist not on the playlist i don't like heavy metal heavy metal is not on there but country hip-hop rap r&b they're all there okay all right what is the best advice that you give other runners but that you have trouble following um don't be so hard on yourself got it got it and, and, and for you, what, when's, uh, when's an example of that you were irrationally hard on yourself? I've been, I've been hard on myself, you know, even on my best races. You know, I was, I was hard. I was actually, believe it or not, I was hard on myself after, after Houston. What? I, was, I know, as crazy as that sounds. I mean, we, as runners, we, we nitpick. And um, I, was, I was a little upset. You know, I didn't get under two, 235 because it's only 23 seconds. I mean, it's only less than a second per mile. So, I was kind of, you know, bummed about that a little bit looking back and um, it happens like that for other races. You, you nitpick and, you know, you're, you kind of get mad at yourself for certain things, but you can't, you can't let, let other stuff, you just got to let it be and, you know, move on. And yeah, that's my advice. Okay. So what other runner or what other person motivates you? Um, I wouldn't say any runner in particular. I just... I honestly love just like, you know, going through my, my newsfeed on my Instagram and just seeing every runner of every ability, you know, just out there grinding, you know, you know, sub-zero temperatures, you know, hundred percent humidity and just getting the runs on the workouts. And that stuff's motivating to me, you know, cause it doesn't matter what your ability is. Just seeing these people out there, it's enough to fire me up. Okay. That sounds good. I feel the same way, especially in the winter, right? It's like the humidity thing in the summer that can be, you know, I feel like that, that certainly is hard to run in and, you know, being someone who lives near the water in Rhode Island, it certainly has plenty of humid days, but I feel like running in the cold and you're in Rochester, you know, you live it. It's like, those are like, that's just a completely different level um, in terms of, especially that first mile where you're just cursing yourself when you head out into that, you know, sub freezing temperature. Oh, it's, yeah, it can be, it can be brutal. I see some people on there with like, you know, these, these frozen beards and faces and stuff and, you know, it makes it a little easier for me knowing that they went out there first and got it done. So, like, if they can do it, you know, so can I. But it doesn't, it doesn't make it any easier once you're actually out there because it does it does suck the first few miles, like, getting your body used to, like, the frigid temps. No, it doesn't make it any easier. You would think it would, right? Like, you, like, think back yeah. to, like, I follow a couple people on, on Instagram who, like, I've become friends with. One is Becky, another one, Verna who like, they have like the frozen eyelash pictures and I've never experienced that in my life. And I hope to God that I don't, but you're right. Like I'll like harken back to those pictures when I'm on a cold run, but I'm just like, no, this doesn't make me feel better. It just makes me think that they're crazy. Yeah. (laughs) You're hundred percent right. Um, all right. So for you, what's a bucket list race, a bucket list race. Um, I would say the Berlin or London. 
Okay. And if you could run only one more race the rest of your life, but you could run it every year, what race would it be? Oof. Definitely Boston. Okay. All right. And that's not, that's interesting because it's not exactly a race that you've, you know, dominated in your career. No, I mean, I've, 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 I've ran, well, I've, I've ran my PR actually going into before Houston was actually in Boston. I ran 237 there last year. That's true. So I, um, and I've had ups and downs there, but I just, for me, it's just the whole race experience. I just love, you know, the, the crowd support, being on Patriots Day on Monday, and everyone's out there cheering. And there's just so many hundreds of thousands of people just, you know, cheering you on. And the atmosphere is just so crazy. And, you know, meeting all these other runners who have so many different stories on how they got there because no two stories are the same. And I just love, like, hearing people's, you know, journeys of how they got to Boston and, it's an awesome experience, you know, listening to them. And, and it's just, there's nothing like Boston. I always tell people that, you know, there might be other races where that are easier or flatter, you know, but nothing can replace the Boston Marathon. And for people who don't know, and that someone who lives in Rhode Island and has lived here in New England my whole life, is that that day is actually a holiday in Massachusetts, Patriots Day. So people yeah. who, you know, so in terms of a fan perspective, it's not like people are like ditching work to go watch the marathon. They don't have work that day. So right. it's and like, so, you know, it's, it's a straight shot into Boston. You're passing through all these towns and none of those people are working. Exactly. It, it's, they call it one big block party and it's literally, there's just people everywhere. Like there's, there's certain races where you'll have spots where it's just really crowded with, with people. But this one, it's just from like start to finish from the small town of Hoppington all the way into Boston. It's just so many people, and it's just – it's so wild. I mean, it's its really, like – it's hard to explain unless you've been there of how awesome it really is. That's a good point. All right, last question before we get going. I just want to say thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate you, you know, being generous with your time and sharing your running experience. It really is informative and uh, motivating in, in a lot of ways. So before we, uh, before we get going, if you could have one running partner, who is your dream running partner? Dream running partner, I would have to say probably Meb. Okay, Meb Kafuski. Why him? Because he's, he's been doing it for so long, and he's just – he makes time for everybody. He's not one of those, like, stuck-up guys. I always see him, you know, posing for pictures with people and always making time to, like, say hello. And he's just – he's ran so many marathons. He's been doing so good for so long. And the dude was, like, 40, what, over 40, and he was in the Olympics, like, as a marathoner. That's, like, unheard of. No kidding. I just, I just completely respect him, you know, for what he's done for the sport of running. And his career has been so great for so many years. And it would just be awesome to run with him. So he was working the broadcast, um, or he was working the, the Houston Marathon last weekend. Did you have a chance to see him? I saw him walking through the expo, but I was actually meeting with my coach. I wasn't able to talk to him, but that would have been a great opportunity. Got it. Well, yeah. like I said, Patrick, thank you so much for coming on. Good luck in Boston, and uh, good luck with all of your future endeavors. Hey, man, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Happy running. All right, man. Thank you very much. Take it easy.